The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So I don't know between, uh, you know, seeing... Uh, great and mighty and seem to insinuate it's me and then giving that kind of introduction it's only going to go downhill from here <laughs> so so I'm glad that all you guys were able to come out tonight um, I kind of figured that you're here for one of three reasons um, either you forgot that I was preaching tonight so you just came not realizing that you're going to be stuck with me or two, you did come hoping that I'd crash and burn. <laughs> or, or three, that you really are here and hopefully to support me and, um, and hopefully um, hear something and be edified with what I have to teach. So. Okay. so actually, the title of my message tonight is Breaking the Ten Commandments. <laughs> So, uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, I'm sure you guys are all very familiar with this portion of this passage. Exodus chapter 20. Hmm? Okay, and we'll start at... Uh, Verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord shall not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger which is in thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blesseth the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thy days shall be long upon the land which the Lord has given thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear faultiness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So let's go ahead and go to prayer. Father, uh, we just uh, pray tonight. We just uh, look after your Ten Commandments, Lord. We just pray that you would bless this message and that uh, you give me the strength to preach this message with boldness and that uh, you would be edified with what is taught tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight I'm going to be talking about sin. 
I mean, sins that even, um, say, people we still commit on a daily basis. Um, you know, as we as Christians, you know, we come up short. And, and even though we are saved and we are justified by God, um, Jesus still mediates between him and his Father to uh, continually um, just state, you know, before his Father that we are his and that we are not held accountable for the sins that Jesus paid for us. So tonight I will go over through each of the Ten Commandments and I'll kind of speak on how we're transgressors of the law even as we are redeemed uh, by Jesus' blood on the cross of Calvary. So, you know, the thing is, is that sometimes we tend to think that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm saved, I don't, I'm not a bad person, I don't, you know, I don't sin very often. And actually, if you think about it, we actually probably sin much more than we think we do if you dig down into these commandments a little bit more. And that's a little bit what I'm going to touch on tonight. It's not going to be this huge message. It's not going to be a 10-week message or anything like that, a week per, per commandment. But just uh, something that just uh, kind of touch on a few points and just kind of, if your mind, and as you realize just how you do sin, just how much Jesus and what he did for us on the cross is um, suffered for our sins and actually has redeemed us by, by what the suffering that he did on the cross. So the first one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So at first blush, I mean, this sounds pretty straightforward, you know. Yeah, we believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't believe in Allah. We don't believe in Buddha. We don't believe in all the different gods that the ancient Greeks and Romans had. And so you think... You know, well, that's, you know, I believe in God. I don't believe in any other gods. Um, but, you know, when we say that, we're, that Jesus is our Lord and our Master and our Savior, what we really mean is that he is Lord, he is like in charge of our lives. And there's many times that we don't act like it, and we tend to forget that he is, in fact, Lord, that we're not in charge, he is. So... We have that. We also kind of maybe tend to elevate other people, thinking that they're, you know, greater than we are, and we may even follow them. Uh, you know, you may follow, you know, other people, celebrities, athletes, politicians. You think that they're somehow these great people that um, can do no wrong, and whatever they say, you're going to follow. Well, really, the only one that we need to follow, you know, Unquestionably, of course, is the Lord God, Jesus Christ. So, and sometimes it can even be a pastor. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that our pastor is like that, but, um, you know, sometimes the pastor in a church can think that he's the one who's the ultimate authority and it's not Jesus Christ. So, and two, I mean, other activities or hobbies that occupy our mind or our time could, can interfere and they become the Lord. And not, and not our Lord. Um, you know, you start skipping church, you do other things instead of doing God's work, you think about other things instead of thinking about God, uh, and service to Him, and basically we ignore God. You know, you may come to church on Sundays, but as soon as you're out the door, you don't even think about God until you come in these, into this building the next time. So, you just... Um, you know, even though we claim that we only believe in one, in God, and we have no put up with our gods in front of him, in a way we do. So, excuse me. 
So that's the first commandment. So the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So we generally say that, you know, you're not to worship idols. And now this closely matches, you know, seems to go with the first commandment. Uh, The biggest difference I see is that on the first commandment, you may tend to ignore God and put other things in front of him. In this commandment, we tend to redefine God. We'll say we believe God, but we make him the God that we want versus the God of the Bible and of his word. So, you know, we may excuse our own behaviors and justify our own actions by changing what God says to what we believe he should say. Um, Case in point would be, you know, well, it's the ones that say, oh, well, God loves everybody. He will never send anyone to hell. You know, you, you, you know, Baptists are very judgmental. I mean, you know, I believe in a loving God that loves us and he'll never do anything bad against us. Um, it's a God that, you know, may allows permissiveness that, viol- that actually violates his justice. So we have to remember that uh, we need to uh, follow God as he is, not what we want him to be. Now, hopefully, we, you know, put our trust in God and we do, you know, conform ourselves to God in the Bible. But there's still sometimes that tendency to want to put your own ideas of what God should be versus what the Bible says he should be. And then as far, of course, as graven images, you know, we, we know not to, you know, have statues, you know, kind of things like that. Um, you know, especially when you get into, like, the Catholic religion where they have their Virgin Mary and all that stuff. We're not to do that. Okay, um, the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So... On this one, I uh, go to Matthew 5.34, and it says, I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So more than not swearing or cursing, we are not to use God's name flippantly either. So we know that we're not to swear, you know, of course, the, you know, you know, you hear all these curse words where, you know, either God or Jesus' name is mentioned in the uh, cursing. But we're also not to use God's name flippantly. Um, the expression that, you know, it's abbreviated OMG, you know, seems to be very common even among Christians. And they don't even think about it. I mean, it just comes out of their mouth just like okay or anything else. Um, but I also would say that uh, we don't want to just, you know, say things, uh, you know, talk about God that don't really pay, realize that what we're saying about him. Uh, in fact, Matthew chapter or 6, verse 7 says that when we pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that these shall be heard for their much speaking. And in this, I mean, you could still, you know, just start talking about God and not really understand what you're saying. Um, the, thing, the point I come up on this is, you know, sometimes we'll be singing hymns in this church, you know, and you're singing up the hymn and you're just, you know, reciting the words, but... If you were to ask him, you know, what did you just say and what does it mean, your mind goes blank because you were just mouthing the words. You weren't really taking into heart what you were singing when you were singing the hymns. 
So even a way that even that is is sin if you're just you know using God's name or speaking about God, you know without really understanding what you're saying and putting your um, you know putting your mind in your action when you speak about God and re- re- um, revering him like you should. So now we get into the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So this one, um, of course, we all you know seem to say, okay, I know we're not supposed to work on Sundays. You know, we, I try very hard not to work on Sunday. Uh, you know, and so we, you know, Sometimes we have to work, but, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I want to get off work, out of working Sundays if possible. So, you know, some of us will say, okay, yeah, I don't work on Sundays. I'm meeting this commandment. But it also says to keep it holy. And there's some times, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too. There's a lot of other things I'm thinking about other than the Lord on Sunday. I mean, it's football season. Come on. <laughs> so... Um, and of course, you know, I'm guilty of this. I, you know, we compete with sports and recreation. We perhaps maybe, you know, maybe still do chores, um, do commerce, you know, make, run errands. And really, it's actually, if you're running errands, you know, we say, oh, we don't work on Sundays, but in fact, we may, if we're running around doing errands and commerce, we're making someone else work that day and create the demand. And I'm sure there's probably some of us and I mean, I've been guilty of this too, that I'd probably be a little bit upset if, if a store was closed on Sunday if I, and I couldn't get gas or I couldn't get like a, you know, half gallon of milk or something like that. But really, you know, to really follow this commandment, we really should, you know, use Sundays as the Lord's day and reserve it for the Lord. So on the fifth commandment, honor your father and thy mother that thy days be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, in Colossians 3.20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So, especially when we're young, we're supposed to look up to our parents for guidance and teaching, and we learn from them, and we are to obey them. Now, of course, it's even better if your parents are Christian that you can really follow. But even those that aren't Christian, I mean, you tend to look at your parents as the role models. Sometimes for good, sometimes for not so good. Um, but in addition to this, it's just um, we also need to respect authority. And actually, the respect for authority does come from this commandment. And that you've, the family actually is the basic um, element of government. Everything fall, of civilization falls that. I mean, in the garden, Adam and Eve, you know, it was like the parents, the kids. And they, you know, from there, you know, it grew, and then government came from that. But the family was the original, you know, family or the original um, structure. So, um, you know, and all government comes from the foundation, started from the family, and really, in the end time, civilization will break down, including the family. Second uh, Timothy three verse two. It's, in the end times it says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then it says, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So we're actually to respect authority and pray for them. And then, um, and then also we're to, you know, um, uh, pray for those that are in authority. First uh, Timothy chapter 2 
uh, starting with verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first in all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So, you know, we start off with honoring our fathers and mothers, and then from there we kind of respect authority. And, you know, sometimes we may, you know, complain. You know, we maybe not respect our fathers and mothers like we should. We... um, you know, talk back to them, especially when we're young, or maybe as we're older, and you know, they're they may say things we may just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, you don't really show that respect that you should continue all through your life. Okay, um, then um, the sixth commandment: Thou shalt not kill. Now, this is the one that pretty much everyone. Understands, you know, of course, is the sin. In fact, most people will say that this is the biggest sin. Um, in fact, if you were to tell, even tell a lost person, you know, well, do you think you're a good person? And they'll say, yeah. You say, well, why do you think you're good? You know, and the first thing that's probably going to come out of their mouth is, well, I haven't killed anybody. So it's, you know, that's usually like the first place they would go when they consider whether they're maybe going to heaven or going to be hell, to hell, because they think that really only if you've are a mass murderer that you're going to go to hell. So, um, but um, really, we got to understand that um, that this doesn't apply to just the physical act of, of taking someone's life, but it also is for anger. So, in Matthew chapter five, verses twenty-one and twenty-two, it says, "Ye have heard that it was said of them in old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment." But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And then in Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In Colossians 3.8, But now that you put off these anger, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, so basically, if you wish ill will towards one another, you are, in fact, violating this commandment of not killing. So most people don't think about that, that if you actually wish harm to come for someone, even if you don't physically carry it out, but you know, you're angry with somebody and you kind of hope that something bad happens to them, you, know, you really are guilty of this, violating this commandment. Okay, number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. So, of course, the... Uh, definition of adultery is, um, you know, relations with a person that's not your spouse. And, of course, I think we all kind of realize that really this all speaks of all sexual sins. Uh, fornication. So, pretty much anyone who's in your spouse is, is considered the adultery here. And, of course, we all, are, I think, are pretty much familiar with uh, Matthew five twenty-seven and 28. Ye have heard it said of them in old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, of course, we, you know, this is one that, you know, a lot of people fall, especially when they think about in their minds. And um, we, of course, we know we're not supposed to do that. But I do have to say that, you know, not only as yourself you should avoid this, but you really should avoid creating the um, 
possibility of others sinning if you're dressing yourself. Now, of course, this may not be politically correct, but some of the young ladies in here, um, you know, you, you do need to probably work about on the provocative dress, uh, dressing sexy, um, you know, trying to make yourself look good, you know, that's sometimes that tendency to kind of, you know, flaunt it. <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily in this building, but, you know, others. And so, but, um, and of course, this is my personal opinion, but really you should dress so that the focus is on your face and not on other parts of your anatomy. So hopefully you'll understand that. <laughs> okay. Um, now, uh, commandment number eight is thou shalt not steal. And of course, you know, classic definition of stealing is to take what is not ours to take. But I would also state that this one actually could be expanded to um, taking unfair advantage over others through their errors or ignorance. So, of course, we know that we shouldn't actually take something from somebody knowing it. But uh, perhaps, you know, you're in a situation with somebody and you, you know something that they don't, don't or maybe they made a mistake. And the classic case that I would say is maybe you get back incorrect change. They give you back too much money. So do you um, say, all right, cashing in, I got a little extra money, or do you actually make it a point to point out the error? Maybe even going back to them if you realize it after the fact and say, hey, you gave back the money, or I need to give you back some money because you gave me back too much. If an item is mislabeled, you know, and you try to take advantage of that, in a way you're stealing. Um, there are some, you know, that may and we'll, they may even say, oh, yeah, this was a steal. I got this great deal. And it was really something that maybe was, wasn't intended, but, you know, they're kind of like forcing the issue. In fact, I even heard a story one time that a, um, a shopkeeper basically mismarked something that was supposed to be $199. It accidentally got marked as $19.99. Well, someone insisted that they, they be sold for the $19.99 because that was what it was marked. Well... You know, sure, you might, you know, have the law, technically, if they bait and switch, that they can't refuse to sell it to you and try to push it something else. But, you know, you really are stealing if you're going to try to enforce that. Okay, number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This, of course, is thou shalt not lie. And um, it's actually, um, you know, we know you're not to lie, but there's really... Um, lies of commission and lies of omission. So in lies of commission, of course, that's when we actually will say something that's not true. Uh, you, um, and of course, a lot of times people may lie in order to make themselves look better, to stay out of trouble, keep get out of trouble, stay out of trouble. And, you know, we just, um, we, we may say something that turns out not to be true. But there's also lies of omission. And these, this I would define is keeping quiet when you know something is not true and you don't try to correct it. So, for instance, if someone was to say something that was um, not true and you know it's not to be true, but you keep quiet because it's in your advantage that the word doesn't get out, that really is a lie of omission. And you're just as guilty of that lie as if you had told it yourself. So you just have to uh, be careful of that. Uh, in fact, the, you know... In court, they talk about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, really, that's what it is. You, um, you need to tell the truth. You need to tell every, 
all bits of it, you know, don't leave anything out that, you know, and um, don't add anything that really isn't true. Um, now, in the case of white, you know, there's also a case of white lies. You might say, well, but, you know, sometimes it's okay to tell white lies. Well, really, it's not. And I know we all sometimes have a tendency to tell a white lie because we don't want to um, create a situation or offend somebody. So we will tell this little white lie to supposedly make them feel better. But really, the thing is, it's probably better to keep silent if you can or maybe change the subject or subtly change the subject so that you're not responding directly to the question that they ask. Um, kind, of the, kind of the joke is like, you know, when the wife says to her husband, do these jeans make me look fat? And you just respond, you know, the idea is to respond, honey, you look really good, so don't worry about it. So, and that's, <laughs> doesn't directly answer the question, but you know, you. You didn't lie. <laughs> okay, the next one is the uh, number 10. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now this one I'm actually going to spend a little bit more time on because I think in this one, this is actually the hardest one. So actually, um, if everyone can turn to Matthew 19, 16 through 22. So Matthew 19, and starting at verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may enter or I might have eternal life. And he said unto them, Why call thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto them, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things I have kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou wilt hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we, we recognize this as the story of the rich young ruler. Um, and basically he was you know, kind of like what I'm a little bit talking about tonight. He was... You know, going through all these commandments, thinking, oh yeah, I'm following exactly what it says, but no expansion, just um, trying to follow directly by the letter. But when he got down to um, you know, Jesus questioning what was in his heart, and really when he says to sell everything, he's talking about the 10th commandment. Now, um, a parallel passage is Mark 10, 21. And it says, When Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, thou shalt make treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. So there's a few things I want to kind of discuss on this commandment. First of all, um, what, is in, what is your neighbor? So, of course, you know, the actual commandment reads, uh, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, or his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So, 
what is your neighbor? Now, of course, you know, strictly speaking, you might think, oh, well, it's the person who lives right next door to me. Well, actually, when uh, Jesus is speaking of neighbor, he's talking more about just the particular family that may live next to you that you know. Actually, in a way, he's talking about everybody. So, on Matthew five forty-three and 44, Ye have heard it being said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So, in a way, what Jesus is saying in that passage is that you need to treat everybody like you would treat your neighbor. So, it's, in a way, you know, anybody is your neighbor. And to me, this is the hardest commandment because um, a lot of people actually don't necessarily think that um, coveting is sinful in a way that um, it, it could be seen. So they, but coveting is actually defined to desire something to fulfill the lust thereof. And you, if, really, if you covet, you desire something, but you find out afterwards it doesn't really fill the need. You still feel empty after the fact. And the stuff doesn't make you whole. It just... You know, you just desire something that may, you want it ahead of time, but once you've had it, maybe right after you get it, or, you know, maybe a little bit later, you just, it doesn't mean anything to you. So, if that happens to you, you've kind of coveted it, and you've gotten it for the wrong purpose. So, and actually, uh, you know, these, this is considered sin. So, um, 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, actually to covet something is, is sin. But, uh, but I, one of the reasons I say this is the hardest commandment is that so much of what is, is to us, it basically wants us to covet. In fact, the whole world of advertising you know, is is done to create desires for us to accumulate stuff. Uh, you may want to, um, you know, there may be something that you don't even think about, then you see an ad for it, and it's, ooh, I want that. And, of course, you then will go out and get it. Now, it may be something that you really need, but most likely, if you didn't know you wanted it before you saw the advertisement for it, it's not something that you really need. So, um and of course, then not only the advertisement, but the whole economy is based on filling this demand. So, um, in a way, and of course, hopefully, I don't sound like a communist or something like that. But a lot of the economy is based on selling stuff to people that don't really need it or shouldn't have it. And but of course, it creates jobs. And you know, if if everyone strictly followed this, probably we'd have a huge depression. <laughs> So, but I also want to talk about the breakdown of the Ten Commandments. So it talks about the neighbor's house, the neighbor's wife, the neighbor's manservant, maidservant, the neighbor's ox and ass. So for neighbor's house, I would define it as being the lifestyle, how they live, what they do, their vacations, their activities. And, you know, you kind of look at, the, uh, you know, maybe at the people around you and it's like you kind of get a little bit, oh, I wish I could do what they do. Uh, they seem to be living in a really nice house. They go on vacations off, you know, to Europe or, you know, whatever. Uh, they seem to all go to all the big events. Um, you know, and, we, you know, we really covet what they have. But um, the reality is that, you know, they may be living beyond their means. Uh, I've worked in the mortgage business, and especially a few years ago when... Prices were going through the roof. I mean, I saw a lot of people that were refinancing their houses in order to, 
to, t to pay down credit cards of stuff that, you know, they, I mean, they would have like a $3,000 bill at Nordstrom's and another 2000 at Neiman Marcus and all this other stuff. And you go, I can't even imagine spending that kind of money on like clothes and they'd have boats, they would have all this stuff. And of course, when the market tanked, they lost it all. But, but you know, in a way it was like money, it was, in a way it was funny money that they were spending to live this lifestyle that really they shouldn't have. So then the next thing is neighbor's wife. And this I consider relationships. And sometimes we may covet what, you know, maybe a, a family that you know or, you know, a couple that you know, uh, you might think that they're like the perfect couple, uh, the perfect wife. Uh, their kids are perfect. They don't, you know, they don't seem to have any problems. But um, you don't really know what goes on in closed doors. So even though you may covet that, you know, it's, it's kind of a false um, desire because they don't really have it either. You just think that they have it. Okay, uh, neighbors, manservant, maidservant, I consider his position, authority. This is the person who's never satisfied with a job. They always want their boss's job because they think it, things would be so much better if they just had this promotion and get more money, more power, authority, and things would be so much better. And really... It's, even the CEOs of companies basically are accountable to somebody. So, you know, there's never like that perfect job that, you know, you basically have no, um, no problems, no, um, everything is good and nothing is bad. And then finally, neighbors, ox and asses, that's kind of what they have. That's the toys. And this one, I think, especially since the Apple 6 just came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that... You know, you got people that are like, two, two years ago when, you know, the last version of Apple came out, they stood in line for three days to get this, this phone that they absolutely had to have. You know, it was going to make their life perfect. You know, and so they have it. And then, of course, now a couple weeks ago, the latest phone comes out, and they're again standing out there in line for three days to get the latest version because all of a sudden that phone that two years ago they waited three days, stood in line for three days, is no longer good enough. So, you know, in, in a way that's coveting the latest, greatest version, but, you know, really you don't, you know, your life doesn't make any difference as to whether you have the old version or the new version. You know, you may even want to consider whether you need, really need the phone or not. I mean, yes, you may need it for some things, but, you know, you may create demand because you got the phone versus you got the phone because you have the requirements, so. <laughs> so. Okay, so basically what um, the Bible does teach about this is rather than be coveting things, is that we should be content with things. So Philippians 4.11 states, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am, therefore to be content. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, And having food and raiment, let us therefore therewith be content. Uh, Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content for such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. So really God does promise that he will meet your needs. But in a way your needs are food, raiment, and, and shelter is, you know, when you get right down to the very basics. So I actually remember telling somebody that, you know, you're, God may provide you by, you know, having you stay in a shelter, eating in a soup kitchen, 
with uh, you know dry clothes, but he's still taking care of your needs. But uh, it may not be what you intend to your needs to be taken care of, but he will take care of you. And if we really think about it, if we kind of you know be content more rather than kind of desiring to get all of those things and you know live in the, live in the life and that we think we should be living versus you know being content with what we have again going back to that uh, pride of life uh, lust of the eyes lust of the flesh so or to uh, just uh, be, be content so you know what is the purpose of me going over these ten commandments um, I have to say that when I was going through these I probably broke all of them probably broke all of them in the last couple of days at some point. Um, and if you really think about it, I mean, um, you know, we're glad we're saved. And then Matthew 5.20, and this is actually, to me, this is like the scariest verse in the Bible. For it says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So to me, when you see that and it's like, what? I got to be better than the scribes and Pharisees? And basically in modern terms, that's basically would be as if a Catholic was saying, you got to be more holy than the Pope and Mother Teresa. <laughs> but um, you, so by ourselves, we basically would have to have the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. And really, the Bible even goes further and it says that we must be perfect. That, you know, we just can't be good enough. we got to be perfect. And if we're not perfect, I mean, when we do sin, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The first part of that says. So, um, and, you know, of course, I, you know, you should come away from that saying that this makes me feel really bad because obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't um, have, you know, righteousness that's better than other people I know, you know, I might think I'm pretty good, but I'm not going to say I'm better than anybody. So, um, and then Romans seven thirteen says, "Was in that which may, was in that which is good made death unto me. God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin worketh death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful." So, actually, what the commandments do, and many people make this mistake because they try to follow the Ten Commandments and on, under their own power. But the law, and I think some of you probably remember this from um, our training that we had last year, and he, uh, the law basically is there to condemn us. It doesn't save us. And if you go down through this law and realize everything it done, you're, you're not going to come after, after reading those Ten Commandments feeling good about yourself and how well you did. You're going to come out of it thinking, I'm a, I'm a lost cause. I'm, I'm in bad shape here. But here's where Jesus comes in. Because as, as it says that the commandments, were, can, that sin by the commandment may become exceedingly sinful, but then it says that um, John 3.16, which of course we all know this verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then it says in Romans 8, verse 1, uh, 
There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus, which has me feel free from the law of sin and death. For what the law cannot do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. For the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then um, Romans five twenty and 21. Moreover, the law entered that much offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned under death, even so might grace reign through righteousness, through eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then finally, Romans 6.23, again, for the wages of sin is death. But then the rest of that says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so I just kind of wanted to point out that, you know, all the things, the sins that we do in the Ten Commandments. And like I said, we still, we still break the Ten Commandments. And it's God's continuous, you know, intercession for us. Jesus' continuing intercession for us. And what Jesus did for us that covers our sins. And you, you really just understand just what he went through, you know, and to, um, on the cross to cover our sins. Because in a way we are so much worse than we thought we were. So... So again, it's a reminder of how we are, we are fallen creatures and how we have offended God, but what Jesus has done to reconcile us. And that because of that, we should uh, praise him, worship him, and thank him. Uh, call him Lord and serve him because what he has first done for us, and he has, re- he has redeemed us and paid the price that we could never repay. So, so uh, let's pray. So, Father, uh, we uh, thank you so much for this message, Lord. I just pray that um, people were uh, edified and they got something out of this message. And, Lord, that uh, I was able to get through this message. And, Lord, I just pray that uh, you think, or I thank you so much for the grace that you give us, that even though we are sinners and we might we do continue to sin, but you have... Um, taken away our sins through what uh, Jesus did on Calvary and that he paid for our sins and that we are, because of that, we are so grateful for Jesus and uh, that we are his and that we will serve him and call him Lord and Master. And we ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.